not church here. We just got it all over. Because Kids Church are making a film today about Jonah and the whale, so watch this space. And we have some very creative types in this space here, which is exciting because our God is a creative God, right? It most certainly is. Well, it's good to see you all this morning. Thanks for coming on out. There is, as we know, no need to panic or have alarm, but it's just good to be sensible. And so I'm pleased you guys have still come to church because really, why wouldn't you want to be in the house of God where possible? And uh, you may have received an email during the week if I had your email address. And if you didn't, um, you may have seen some things on Facebook that uh, most churches or organisations in the world we live in at this particular time have just had to put some things in place because of the coronavirus. Um, I'm not too worried about it. It's just that um, if you go to hug me, I will hug you, but I won't initiate the hug because I've been told that I'm not allowed to by, you know, my movement, so to speak, because we just have to be careful that your pastor, who shakes hands normally or hugs everyone, (laughs) wouldn't be a carrier of something nasty. But you know what? I'm not worried about it. So don't you be worried. And if you want to give me a hug later, I will definitely hug you. But just on the door, you might notice our our greeters are just waving and smiling. Please feel warmly invited, even if you don't get a wet, sloppy kiss. There's more ways to receive affection and warmth than through that, right? So I trust that you're um, all cool, you're all relaxed, and nobody's worried about some of these things that are going on. I'll let it sort of steal their peace this morning if things are a little bit different. So please bear with us. And uh, just as we all walk through this journey together and uh, there's some crazy things happening out in the world, we don't have to bring crazy in here or in here, do we? No, we don't. Could I have a glass of water? Actually, that uh, yellow cup should do the job. That'd be fantastic. Well, let's just pray before we start. Thanks, Ray. It's a happy (laughs) colour. Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you that we are your people, Lord. We pray that we will continue to be a light on the hill, that we will not lose our saltiness, Lord, as Scripture says. We thank you that uh, we are called in troubled times just to show your love, your peace, and to declare our faith and confidence in you. So we just thank you for who you are in us this morning, Lord, despite what is happening in the media or in the world, Lord. And we pray, Father God, that through this morning's message, Lord, that you would speak to us each individually as, uh, and you will speak through me as I speak to the group, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning's message is actually called Gatekeepers. And you might think, what? Renee's back on about Nehemiah again because we know that, you know, we spend a fair bit of time or maybe a month where we were actually looking at how the people of God rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem. And we know that ancient walls were, you know, quite a big deal in the day. Most ancient cities had, if they were a city of significance, had thick or high walls surrounding them as a boundary point, though into boundaries, this is my city, this is our greatness, but also to keep out, you know, wild beasts and invading armies and things like that. And so they were practical. And of course, every walled city needs a gate, because not much point if you've got gates all around, if you've got a wall that you can't get in or out of, because that's, you know, you may as well be in a siege. So every walled city needs gates. And of course, every gate needs a gatekeeper, because if there's no security, if there's no one 
um, they're monitoring those gates, you may as well not have the wall in the first place. So they're an integral part of the whole urban planning thing back in the day. And you know what? The reason um, I've just had this actual word in my spirit for a while, and I believe parts of it's a prophetic. So it's not; it's a teaching word, but I believe it's actually God's word for our church at such a time as this. I've been just waiting for the right time to deliver it because when I was in the book of Nehemiah, and as I've been reading through my Bible, I think in my plan, the way I divide it up and read it each day, I was looking through Leviticus and Chronicles and Exodus and things like that. And this gatekeepers just kept cropping up and kind of captured my heart. So I'm trusting this morning that I'll be able to share that with you and you can take it away and think about gatekeepers during the week. But before we get into the message, you can't really talk about gates without having a few knock-knock jokes, could you? I'd be remiss of me not to give you a couple of knock-knock jokes. So knock-knock, who's there? Tank. You're welcome. Okay. <laughs> right, should have done this at the, at the um, door, shouldn't I? All right, knock, knock. <laughs> a little old lady. <laughs> hey, I didn't know you could yodel. Oh, <laughs> oh everyone's so funny. Yeah. <laughs> Almost as good as Ray's dad jokes, the good old knock, knock jokes. <laughs> so Gates. I don't know if there are any knock, knock jokes in the Bible. That's okay, though. It's okay. Gates are mentioned often in scripture, literally and symbolically. They often denote authority and at times they're even used as a metaphor for life and death. And Jesus himself in John 10, 9 described himself um, in, in the seven I am statements that he made as I am the gate. He says, yes, I am the gate. Those who come through me will be saved. They will come and go freely and will find good pastures. I love that. I could easily preach on that in the whole of that chapter, but that would probably distract me from my purpose this morning. But at the outset, it's good to acknowledge that in the New Testament, when it's referenced, the gate here is really um, describing the person that has the highest authority, who is the avenue of salvation or the way of salvation. And um, that's exciting to remember that he is the way, he is the gate, the door, whichever interpretation you want to go, that we come through to get to God. But gatekeepers themselves were significant in the Bible and, as we said, in society. They were an important part of maintaining order in those ancient societies. And gatekeepers were uh, guards that were basically stationed for protection at various kinds of gates in ancient medieval times. We're just going to talk very quickly about two of those types of gatekeepers, gatekeepers this morning, um, is the, those that guarded or positioned themselves at the city gates and those that were at the temple gates. I mean, there probably were palace gatekeepers and, you know, gatekeepers for other things. We're just going to quickly talk about those two. And it's important, a gatekeeper is important because they play a very key part in controlling who or what comes in and who or what goes out. And Ezra records, remember that's kind of the twin book of Nehemiah that goes before, they're actually written together and by the same author. And he records that 139 gatekeepers made the trip from Babylonian to Jerusalem. And, uh, you know, when Nehemiah had finished the, re the rebuilding of the wall around the city of Jerusalem, the gatekeepers were some of the first positions that were appointed, um, along with the singers. Oh, 
they were very holy there. And the priestly community, that's how important they were, that when they were getting things back off the ground again, that it was the priests, the Levites, the singers and the gatekeepers. And, you know, a gatekeeper had to be trustworthy, trustworthy and alert for any signs of danger. And it was no small thing. Before a city could conduct its business, it must be protected from outsiders. It must be able to control what merchants, whatever, are coming in or out. And, of course, temple gatekeepers had a specific function because they were already within the walled city where there were the gatekeepers that let people in. They were monitoring what happened at the temple. They were ensuring order and reverence for God's house, not specifically the whole city. And of course, before God's business could be conducted properly, only, they, only the prescribed priests and other designated servants would be allowed through the gates past the temple gatekeepers. And um, hopefully they were friendly and smiled. I don't know. <laughs> Who knows how they wielded their authority? Hopefully there weren't some power-hungry ones. Hopefully that they were just willing, meek servants of God. I don't know. But God clearly had given um, commands about temple business in, in the word. And the Lord had said to Moses in Exodus 25, verses 8 to 9, in the New Living Translation, Have the people of Israel build me a holy sanctuary so that I can live among them. You must build this tabernacle and its furnishings exactly according to the pattern that I show you. And we're not going to go and have a look at the, the lampstands and the wash bowls and everything today. Um, but just know that obviously God himself is interested in order and things being done well. And um, just as a sidebar for, you know, what's going on with um, the coronavirus and everything, you know, Scripture was very clear about quarantine and it was, was not a big deal. Like, you know what I mean? If, if you actually have a look throughout Exodus and um, I think Leviticus, you'll find it and... Um, maybe chronic of the other place, even Hebrew sort of touches on it again. But there were just things in place like self-isolation, <laughs> quarantine, doing things well and orderly is all part of the work of God. But gatekeepers of the temple, it was a holy business. It wasn't, I don't want you to get a picture of like a bouncer at some big nightclub, you know, with rebels and bikey gangs and drug dealers and whatever in the city. It's, it's not really like that kind of security, okay? Um, it was considered, although we're grateful for that, I'm sure they do a good job and Jesus loves the security people too, that's all fine. <laughs> but gatekeepers in scripture, it was, it was actually a holy business that they were a part of and their positions were considered sacred. And one, con run cro oh, excuse me. one Chronicles 9, do you want to turn there in your Bibles? I'm just going to wait. You can take that one down now. Shanks. 1 Chronicles 9, 22 to 23 says, In all, there were 212 gatekeepers in those days, and they were listed according to their genealogies in their villages. David and Samuel the prophet had appointed their ancestors because they were reliable men. These gatekeepers and their descendants by their divisions were responsible for guarding the entrance to the house of the Lord when the house was a tent. So even when they were tenting and they weren't tabernacling with, you know, bricks and mortar, there was still order and there was still gatekeepers. And I like the descriptions. We're not going to get caught up in like the temple function or anything like that. But note how they're described, that they were... Um, 
they were given positions of trust. Some version says they were reliable and responsible. And uh, if you actually want to read more about that, you can read through uh, 1 Chronicles chapter 9. But throughout the rest of the passage, we won't get, go there now, but it talks about it was all sort of very well organised that, um, that they actually rostered them on and rotated them so that they could have rest. You know, they weren't just... They had week-long assignments, but, you know, they weren't just went there forever. It was well organised. And um, they would spend um, the night stationed around the house of God. There were four that actually had to guard the four entrances of the, of the tent. And so, so there was some night duty for some of them. You know, like it wasn't just, oh, clocking off now, my bit's done. Um, there was actually extensive um, supervision in their role. It wasn't just a, a piecemeal thing. And uh, even some had, were entrusted with a key and they were responsible for opening the temple in the morning to make sure that it was open. Is this... Okay, thank you. Oh, you're a legend. Oh, is that working? It sounds fainter than the other one. Thanks. And, you know, so if you have a key to church and um, you're on the lockup roster, consider yourself trusted, reliable, responsible. Thank you very much. And nobody really likes to do lockup and check that things are turned off and whatever. But when you're on the lockup roster because you've got a key, you can be saying to yourself, I am a gatekeeper in the house of God. What a responsibility. Thank you, Pastor Renee, for entrusting me with this responsibility with this key. Do I have an amen? Woo! Oh, look, the crowd goes wild. And you, you might be thinking, what does all this mean for me? We don't hear much about gatekeepers in the New Testament, right? Do you? No. There is one gatekeeper, the one that opens the gate for, for Jesus, and then he then in the same story declares himself as the gate, which we might finish with that at the end. But, you know, gatekeepers may not be in the New Testament very much, and they may not be in modern life very much in the literal sense because, hey, a nuclear bomb kind of eliminates the need for a gatekeeper in walled cities. It's a whole different landscape out there. But let me tell you, under the new covenant that God has with us, in the new creation that we're part of, we are all called to be gatekeepers. It's not a rostered thing. It's not a, well, if you, you were born of that family and they handed that responsibility down to you, so now you get to be the gatekeeper because you were son off, son off. It's actually all of us are called to be God's gatekeepers. And the temple where God dwells now is in our hearts. There was such a time where he was part of the community um, in the temple and the tabernacle, but he now lives in our hearts. And so you know what? Being a gatekeeper is a 24-7 thing. It's not something that we can actually outsource. We actually have to be the, the gatekeeper or the keeper of our lives. And uh, next slide, if you wouldn't mind. We are responsible for what comes into our life, what we are looking at, what we are listening to, and what goes out of our life through what we say and through what we do. You with me? And so the question for us this morning as a church and hopefully in the week ahead or days ahead is to consider what is actually getting past me? What am I letting into my life or my family life, you know, on my watch? And in that sense, we are all modern day gatekeepers, even though we don't patrol an ancient city with thick walls. So gatekeepers are redundant. 
No, they're not. And I believe the Holy Spirit is speaking to us this morning. He actually wants all of his people to have the posture of a gatekeeper. We went through it a bit quicker before. What was the posture of a gatekeeper? They were reliable. They were trustworthy. They were alert. Everyone awake? Yeah. They were involved with security. And they were there to look out for the welfare of others or a bigger picture it wasn't just about them. You know, a good gate, a gatekeeper wasn't there to um, take bribes or to just work things out that, you know, suited him. They were there to actually protect a whole group of people. And if gatekeepers failed in the ancient world, it could actually put a whole population at risk. And you might think, oh, look, in this generation where, how, you know, and this time that we live in, we think, well... Um, you know, it's all about me. You've got all those ads. The most important person in the world is you. Well, yes and no, you know what I mean? If we're actually going to take up the mantle of a gatekeeper, as God, I believe, calls us to do, to take leadership of our lives, he's actually want, He's going to call us to account for others as well. It's not all just about moi. It's not all just about you. We need, we need to live others-centred lives. And so I felt that this morning there was a prophetic word, not just good teaching, that God is saying to our church right now that we need to have the posture of a gatekeeper, that we need to be alert. And I think that's in the things of the Spirit, in prayer. We need to, and you know, I've had this word before this, what did they call it? Uh, what's the other name they use for COD? That one, COVID-19. They said sing it to the tune of Come On Eileen and then you'll always remember it. But anyway, you won't go there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, got it. Um, even before all this came, came to be, um, you know, it sort of come upon us, come upon us sort of quickly in, in another way. We're already sick of it, right? Who's sick of hearing the news that takes up the whole bulletin? Me, I'm sick of that. There must be something else happening on the planet. But we as gatekeepers... New Covenant gatekeepers, on our watch, in these times, we need to be careful about what we're allowing in and what we're letting out. And so that's between you and God. Like, it's not for me to tell you. But I guess, you know, how do you know when you've crossed over the line um, of being diligent and, you know, just a member of the community finding out what's going on to being in fear or, or spreading fear... You'll know, you'll know when you overstep that mark. And the Holy Spirit's there to tell you, not me. And same with me. So, excuse me. Two main ways that we are gatekeepers in our context. In a modern world, with Jesus come, the Holy Spirit in our hearts. Two main ways. We're to be keepers of our own hearts and we're actually to be protectors of others and keepers of our own heart. Actually, Brian Houston did a great series years ago, I think, called My Heart, My Responsibility. And sometimes um, with the psychobabble and things that go on around us, we're really, really good at trying to say that, it, you know, how we are or our problem or my faulty thinking or my, my faulty feeling is all to do with something else that happened. And it may be, but at the end of the day, whose responsibility is it? Mine. We've actually, because whether we like it or not, we're lumped with 
that, that collection of experiences and memories and things that have happened in our life. And it's actually not someone else's responsibility. It's our responsibility to actually monitor our heart about how we respond in that. But you know what? The good news is that while it is my responsibility to keep my own heart and to set a watch over my heart and my mouth, we do have help. Yay! Everyone's excited. We do have help. Psalm 141 verse 3. Um, I like the NIV version for this, not the NLT. It's probably more true to the original um, language, which is, Set a guard over my mouth, Lord. Keep watch over the door of my lips. I love that. I love it in theory. <laughs> but <laughs> it's good in theory. It sounds very poetic. But you know what? It's tricky because when we actually say that prayer to God, Lord, you set a guard over my mouth. You can almost think of that century, you know, marching backwards and forwards, you know. Keep a watch over the door of my lips. Then when we get that conviction, oh, no, I shouldn't be speaking like that. We don't always enjoy that. But thank the Lord that it comes if we keep us sensitive to him because otherwise we can get ourselves in a whole lot of mess or create a whole lot of mess. And I love this, that in this, in this passage, set a guard over my mouth, Lord, keep watch over the doors of my lip. It's actually putting the God, God himself, Holy Spirit, in the place of the keeper of our gates. And so when I've said to you, it is true, you are a gatekeeper, you've always got to think of it, you've actually got a friend that's with you. It's the Holy Spirit who's helping you along the way. And you know what? We cannot do a good job of keeping our hearts, our lives, our minds, our emotions in check, what comes out of our mouth without his help. And so our conscience, the fear of the Lord and the Holy Spirit are all the things that actually help us be gatekeepers of our hearts. Proverbs 16.6 says, "Through, Through the fear of the Lord evil is avoided. And I think that's, oh, I like that version too, unfailing love and faithfulness make atonement for sin. By fearing the Lord, people avoid evil. It's good to have a healthy respect for God. I think it's great, like I love sharing with people how Jesus loves them and he's accessible, he's not exclusive, all of that, but we still need to make sure that people understand through the witness of our lives and our words, that he is God, that the creator of the world, the most holy one, humbled himself in Jesus. And it's important to have that balance. And I think if we, um, if we don't have that balance in our life, that's when things can come in. We can give permission to things to come into our lives that aren't good for us. So the fear of the Lord helps us avoid e- evil, to remember to, that we need to have um, awe of him and, and respect for him. And when temptation comes knocking at our gate, like a bad knock-knock joke, <laughs> you know what? The Holy Spirit nudges our scripture-informed conscience and says, that's dangerous. Don't go there. You know that's not a good idea. And notice what I said there, our scripture-informed conscience. If you think and reflect um, at times and you think, gee, I'm to be in a bit of a funk. I'm not really hearing from God. And why did I do that? Why didn't I get a prompting from the Holy Spirit? Why? You know, there was a time when my conscience wouldn't allow me to do that. You know, I'd, I'd be awake at night thinking, oh my gosh, what, what did I, why did I do that? Why did I say that? Why did I think that? 
But, you know, we may reflect there might be periods in our life where we think, you know what, my conscience is pretty tame these days. (laughs) The question to ask yourself next would be, well, how much of the time have you been spending your Bible, listening to Scripture, whatever else? Because it's a Scripture-informed conscience that actually really helps us be gatekeepers of our life. Scripture is what reinforces our gates. I've hid my word, I've hid your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I love that prayer that David makes in the Psalms. It's a statement, but it's also a prayer in the way I read it. It's like, you know, Lord, help me to do this because I don't want to sin against you. Help me to hide your word in my heart to keep me strong. You know, and when we ignore the Holy Spirit as our gatekeeper, we put ourselves and those that we love in jeopardy. But we, when we're in godly fear, in the right sort of fear, like um, not I'm afraid of God, but I actually understand that there's consequences. And if I don't um, follow his will and his ways, it's not going to go well for me like if I did. When we do that, our hearts and our lives are protected from Satan's invasive schemes. And you can have a look at Ephesians 6.11 and 2 Corinthians 2.11 later on if you'd like to. But you know what? The main point I want to bring out here is that the divine gatekeeper, the Holy Spirit, actually acts on our behalf. He walks with us. If we think of us on a, you know, a high you know, city wall somewhere, actually helping us protecting us from invaders, from overpowering us. But we actually need to include him in our lives. We need to be sensitive to him. We actually need to listen and obey because otherwise we can become dull of hearing and very dull in our spirit. Has anyone ever been there? You know what I'm talking about and you realise, ah, that's what it is. I've drifted that little bit. I just need to get back into my Bible and get back into listening and to doing what God is telling me to do. But the second way that I believe we are modern-day gatekeepers is that we can be protectors for others and the example or of others. Um, so in the past, in recent weeks, we looked at an ancient example in Scripture, which was Nehemiah. He, his role was the cupbearer, but I think of him as a gatekeeper-type mentality because his posture, he was one who was alert you know, his job was even a, a more closer, like he was the gatekeeper. He, he wouldn't let anything get close to the king. He had to taste it first. He was the buffer between the king and assassination by poison. You know, so it wasn't about his, you know, his healthy eating plan. It was about protection. It was about security. He had the posture of someone that was alert, who was trustworthy and who God wants us to be like. And... Um, But there's a modern-day example, which is not from Scripture, that I want to share today in a moment, if you can cue it up there, sound man. Um, And it's from life. And I was, uh, I don't know how I came across it, but I was thinking about how this person, who you're going to meet in a moment if you haven't already heard about him, he was watchful. He was others-focused. And he went beyond just his day job. And I believe that, um, as we watch this on the screen in a moment, that there's a spirit of a gatekeeper in this person that 
I think I could aspire to be like. And uh, this person, his name is Sergeant Kevin Briggs. I'm not sure if you've heard of him. And he rides his motorcycle, or he did, up and down the Golden Gate Bridge. And he had a very interesting way where God used him, I believe. I, I'm not even, I don't even know if he's a Christian. I believe he might be. But whether he knows or not, God was using him to be a buffer between the drastic choices that others were making. So if we can go to the clip... I must sit down here. One man to save lives and lift spirits. The Golden Gate Bridge is one of the great landmarks of the West, one of the most popular places in the world for tourists to visit. And sadly, it's also a place people go because they've lost all hope and they wish to end it all. Few know this better than Kevin Briggs, a sergeant with the California Highway Patrol and a guardian of the Golden Gate. His very unique and moving story tonight from our national correspondent, Kate Snow. Sunrise over the Golden Gate Bridge, the anticipation of a new day. How many times do you think you've been on this bridge? Thousands of times, thousands. After 23 years, Sergeant Kevin Briggs has learned how to tell when someone's in trouble. I'll say, how are you? And try to strike up a conversation and say, oh, what are you doing tomorrow? Why do you ask about tomorrow? Because folks who are suicidal or contemplating suicide generally don't have plans for tomorrow. I want them to look at me and see someone that cares. Sergeant Briggs is just one of many officers who guard the Golden Gate, but he thinks he's probably helped more than 200 desperate people. Kevin Berthea was one of them. He looks over and sees me, and he goes over this rail. He was perched on a narrow pipe. He'd lost his job, had soaring medical bills for his premature infant daughter. He couldn't see a way out. He would be looking down a lot. And I said, Kevin, why don't you look up and look at the sky and look over at the city? So you're right here on the rail and you're trying to get him to look up at you instead of looking down. Right. I heard the voice and that voice is what stopped me. They talked for 92 minutes before Sergeant Briggs convinced Berthea to come back over the rail. I've told Officer Briggs things that day that I've never said, never knew I was dealing with, never knew I was feeling. He reminded me what was important to me, my daughter. Eight years later, his daughter is healthy. He has a son, too, and another baby on the way with his new girlfriend. I look in the mirror at myself now, and the man that stood on that bridge is not the man that's standing in front of you right now. What if he hadn't been there? We wouldn't be here. It's just that simple. This is why we keep doing this. There is hope. There's going to be more Kevins, and we're going to be able to talk to him and reach out and say, hey, brother, I'm here for you. Hey, good to see you again. You too. All right. Sergeant Briggs will retire this month good, to work full-time on suicide prevention. Both men now share the same message. Just getting up in the morning is a blessing. Just waking up. And I want people to see that, to see that it's a gift. Don't throw it away. The power of one voice that's convinced so many people to start another day. Kate Snow, NBC News, San Francisco. Finally tonight, the power... The power of one gatekeeper, right, to make a difference to others, to be alert and vigilant. And um, I think, what an amazing, I think it'd be good to have a job or a career like that where you could quantify, like he, he's got numbers even of how many people that he's intervened in, in their life or was just there at the right time. And I think that's great. Not everyone in their role or their jobs has got like data like that and all has that specific literal opportunity to work on the Golden Gate Bridge and make sure that um, do, and do what they can to avoid catastrophe. But 
all of us have opportunities at times where, and when maybe you've had this situation happen for you, where it may not be that drastic, and, and, and I hope it, I hope it's not. Like if you've had suicidal thoughts or whatever, please come and talk to me or some, somebody else. But even if it's not that drastic, we know that there's been key times where people have basically been a gatekeeper for us, that they've stood there and we've wanted to go and do this thing or that thing or allow this thing in our life or make that drastic decision and they've stood there with us. Maybe they've been stern and said, that's not a good idea. What are you doing that for, you idiot? (laughs) Maybe that's how your gatekeeper speaks to you and maybe you listen to that, I don't know. Or people who have literally, through prayer, stood in the gap for you or for others in your family. And um, it doesn't say it fully on there, but if you read up on good old Sergeant Kevin, there are actually three questions. He and he has other team members that do this as well. Three questions that they actually ask people in that situation. And I thought, wow, it'd be really good to know those three questions because what if I'm ever in a situation, you know, you come across stuff in schools or in places where, you know, sometimes there is similar things going on. But the three things they ask, they didn't need a psychology degree or intensive training. These these are the three things. They say, how are you feeling? What's going on for you? What plans do you have tomorrow? Because as you said there, if you're actually... um, contemplating something that drastic you don't have a plan for tomorrow because your vision of the future is so foggy a bit like that mist that was in the picture you actually can't see tomorrow that's part of the problem is that you feel hopeless so you ask what plans do you have tomorrow to bring out this situation and then you say to the person let's make a plan if you don't do this what could we do tomorrow could I meet you for a cup of coffee, <laughs> you know? Um, could I go with you to see the caseworker? Um, you know, or can I get my mate to come along with you? And I just thought those three questions were really powerful and they're actually very helpful because I think that all of us could be used to be a gatekeeper for someone else with those questions, if not for something that drastic, but just to help them with whatever they're going through. Because people need to see that there is something good coming, (laughs) that they can see ahead. And unfortunately, um, people that make drastic decisions like that, sometimes they will report, like if you read testimonies and whatever, that for whatever reason, they lost their nerve, someone came, something distracted them, they got a call, you know, something, and they changed their mind, they went home to bed and they got up and so many say, You know, even if it wasn't a dramatic experience of Kevin talking to them for 92 minutes, so many say, you know what, the only thing that changed was that I went and had a good night's sleep and I woke up the next day and realised it's not that bad. (laughs) So I encourage us, church, um, as we're dealing with people or if we're going through stuff to reach out to others, that sometimes it is really only a matter of having someone stand with us and just have a good night's sleep, ask someone, I can't see how I'm going to get out of this situation. Can you help me make a plan you know, that type of thing. And 1 Peter 5.8, if the team wants to come back up, please. I love 1 Peter 5.8. Gatekeepers scripture 101. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. That was the ESV, but I love the NLT as well. Stay alert. 
wake up. (laughs) Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And so that's why I believe in the modern world, in, as new covenant people, it's important that we see ourselves as a gatekeeper because we are called to be watchful of our own soul, but to be watchful over others. And so we don't actually have to make a walled city of our own life, letting no one in, not giving anything away. We can actually be used of God to influence others for good and to be in charge of our lives well. And it's always good to be a person that's known like Nehemiah or like Kevin, to be someone that's trustworthy, to be a protector and to be the sort of person that says, well, if you're going to bring that slanderous gossip to me, you know what? It's going to stop here. I'm not going to pass that up the food chain to somebody else. It stops here. I believe there are practical ways that we can be gatekeepers as God's calling us. Uh, If you'd like to stand with me, church, Um, if you want to go and research Kev, you can. I'm sure there's, I had to choose something that was short. There's the much longer exposés on him online. But, uh, you know, a gatekeeper is a position of trust. So I want us just to pray this morning before we finish in worship here that God would find us trustworthy and that he would help us to rise to this challenge. Let's pray. Father God, we just say to you this morning that you can rely on us, Lord, that we're going to be diligent, uh, we're going to just, you know, be um, sensible, we're going to be alert, Lord, for the things that you have for us, Lord. We pray that you would help us with what we choose to look at with our eyes, what we choose to listen to, Lord. And also help us, Lord, put a watch over our mouths for what we actually then pass on to others, Lord. We pray that you would find us trustworthy in these things, Lord. But importantly, Lord God, we pray for your help this morning, that you would actually be the gatekeeper with us of our lives, Lord. Help us to have an attitude that cares for others, Lord, to look out for them too, Lord. We know it's not all just about us. We thank you, Lord God for the sacrifice that your son made and we pray that you would help us to live sacrificially as well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.